gentlemen to episode 20 of pounding the table tomorrow is sunday december 20th bitcoin surpassed 20,000. pounding the table has that 2020 vision as we wrap up what was a crazy year i'm out here feeling like jay-z tony with uh 22 twos shout out to andrew paradise and the team over at skills which has been a pounder's thesis pick since under 11 dollars on episode four so certainly got to talk about skills now that it's changed ticker symbols got a ton going on here so I got to admit, I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed as we head into 2021. It is a full-on SPAC attack. Pounding the table, even got in our first little Twitter war here with uh, the notorious Muddy Waters talking about (laughs) Nanox. So we got a lot to talk about, Tony. Yeah, I mean, I knew you were going to absolutely bring that up. And of course, we'll get into those SPACs, that SPAC attack, try to calm down some of your overwhelmed feelings there. And we want to continue to talk about some strategies with the SPAC, specifically just keeping the risk low and making sure that upside is always as much as it can be. Uh, And of course, I'll touch on that Muddy Waters challenge. And finally, we're going to get into some questions from the Pounders. And for those of you who are new, Pounding the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and yours truly, Anthony Ohian, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week, we analyze the news and provide our opinions around how we think the markets will be impacted. Quick disclaimer here for everybody. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion of our own personal investments. Everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account, are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitation. And with that being said, Avi... Let's kick this off. Yeah, that's right, Tony. We got a lot to talk about. Many of the mini monsters have been hit. (laughs) Many of them are basing. It's like a full moon out here. These monsters are walking about. I also want to pause for a second. I love the new nickname we got from Abi Arang on Twitter. Called us invaders, which is a mix of investors and traders, which I think is certainly true. And something that I wanted to bring up as we reiterate time and time again, that of course, what we love to do is share our research, tell you ideas of what we're picking and what we're going to be doing. Uh, but always just want to focus on you guys doing your own due diligence. Everyone has different account sizes. We may be moving in and out of position. So it's always important to pick your own stocks as well. Absolutely, Avi. I mean, we spend a lot of time every week just putting together research and information, going through news, individual companies, looking to see what kind of asset classes and sectors are popping at that time. And we just try to bring that as fast as we can to you guys. But it's always up to you guys to pick what things you want to be invested in, how much, what type of strategies, you know, that's the that's the personal investment responsibility there, you know, doing your own due diligence and making sure that you feel as confident as you hear us sound about our positions. Um, but we are going to start probably doing these more on a monthly basis just to track the names that we're in. We do post thesis picks and we talk about those. Those are the ones that we think have a great setup, both, you know, fundamentally and technically at that time. So that's why we're pounding on those. Maybe they have news or something. But once again, it does take time for great things to happen on occasion. Uh, so we'll be looking to do this more on a monthly basis. I do want to reiterate here that this is definitely not just a SPAC show, even though SPACs are one of the hottest things right now. 
we've got a lot of mini monsters that already became full-on Godzillas that we still got to talk about. Let's just jump right into some of last week's rippers and dippers. Let's start with the bad. No one wants to hear about those, but I think it's super important to say that we are not invincible. Of course, we have some dippers as well. So walk through some of the dippers before we even hit the rippers. So we had a few stocks that were pretty flat, CMLF, NIU, BFT, and that's kind of what we're looking for with those SPACs. Like NIU is not a SPAC, but the other two are. And we want to see that those SPACs who are, you know, not really already merged with the ticker symbol yet, and just in the earlier stage of the entire SPAC process that we think have great prospects in management, those are supposed to be holding their value. So those are, you know, my cash reserves, essentially, whenever the news hits on those, then we're going to be talking about those as big rippers. But other than that, we have a couple dippers. We have Ozon went down from 47.16 to 45. So just down about 4%. I think the IPO is just basing, getting ready to decide when it wants to move and how hard. And of course, Dada, 44 to 40. I think this is just also just, it's still basing, you know, it went all the way to 60 after being in 30s. So it's trying to find a bottom here to move back up higher. Okay, okay. So- Let's jump into some of the rippers. Did that <laughs> you just work? a piece of paper. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to leave that in for the podcast. But let's talk about these rippers. So HAACU, I'll keep talking about this one until it hits like CMLF. That one went from 10.8 to 11.36. So nothing really happened here. No news on anything. Just a little bit of volume of about 4%, which means like you can see that no matter what happens to the market, these things are going to hold their value, if not really like increase at some point in time. Pick, my thesis pick from two weeks ago, that one's up about $3 after hours on Friday because they announced that they're going through with the merger vote on Monday and that it was on Kramer. So Kramer was pumping this bad boy up. And once again, we love the revenue prospects on this one. BTWN, our double pound from last week was 11 to 13.9. So 20% gain right about there. And that one is in talk to take Tokopedia public. So people are calling this the SC competitor. Um, and it kind of does look like it is in the same space. But once again, this is not for me something that's going to impact SC's long term viability. I think that company is going to beat anyone who comes in the market. So pounding both, honestly, because there is room to everyone have a little bit of pie. MP, uh, we talked about this one, I think at 22, Avi, but now it went to 32. So that's up about Almost 50% from our call a few weeks ago. This one's a great play. Shout out again to Austin Lieberman. I mean, I love the play that it's just these rare earth material metals, and it's very, very few of them. And this one's doing it in a very effective and profitable way. So I'm a fan of that. DMYD, 11.16 to 15.3. Down 40 cents after hours, but still 33% up on that. So people are definitely really getting into this sports craze, gambling, all that. That entire sector is getting very, very hot these days. HCAC, one that I wish I would have added way more to on dips this week because it did come back and close strong. So that one went from 13.45 to 19.29. So that was a 43% ripper. And the reason we've been talking about some of these EV plays as SPACs who have these good prospective management teams is because they have these really ridiculous moves. I mean, it's harder for other companies to go from, you know, 10 to 20, 30 as a SPAC, but all these EV ones are really going insane, like laser um, quantum scape, those ones are the ones that are doing the 500%. So definitely have to keep eyes on that one. Just want to talk about CRISP one more time and NTLA. Both of those have gone insane. I mean, the genomics area is just getting so hot. People are piling money into ArcG like it's no one's business. 85.4 on CRISPR to 148.61. So 74% gain over the last few weeks in that one. NTLA episode four. $19 we pounded that one, 55.2. So that's 190% ripper. And I think that. This is exactly what we've been talking about since the first episode. 
those are the names that are going to be that new wave of like people are so excited about e-commerce or payment processing or cloud computing or AI. And they're not looking into the fact that as much as you love technology and everything's great, health is the way that you enjoy the technology and you use the technology more. So health will indirectly grow technology exponentially. So those are going to be invaluable companies for the next five to 10 years and anything in that space. I mean, that's actually why I'm pounding the table so hard on HAACU and CMLF. CMLF specifically is going to be right along the lines of that, but who knows what HAACU is going to be. The Lavongo guys seem pretty eager to get out of there. And of course, let's talk a little bit about skills here, Avi. Obviously, we love this one both. That was a strong double pound from the two of us. 12.4 at the pound to 21.45. So 95% gain since our first pound. Yeah, I think that was our first true double pound on the thesis pick. I think it was back in July when we first got super feaky. We were joking on Twitter uh, before it changed over to skills. So ticker symbol now is SKLZ. We tweeted at Andrew Paradise, their CEO, to get some PR out. We were a little confused. And then, of course, he must have listened to us because that very next day, we got this complete onslaught of PR and ripped right to under, I think, $24, what is its high. A few folks, of course, took some profits on Friday, but it settled in at about $20.92. I know you're still pounding this one. So what do you like about this one long term? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've talked about a lot of different sectors on the podcast that are going to continue to benefit a lot from this exponential base shift in online technology, all the e-commerce payment processing, all of this kind of wave of everything that's happening. And now you've got administrative waves, right? So like the cannabis industry is going to be going insane because of Biden. The EV industry is going to be going insane. And you see more and more states are starting to legalize gambling, which you've talked about many times on the pod. So this is going to benefit from all of that, in my opinion. And you're seeing a huge wave of new developers coming in the market with all types of different games and different apparatus to, to use those games. So I think this is just going to be a nonstop ripper of an industry. And the numbers say that. So we've been pounding this one since 11 for good reason, right? These are the same guys who brought you DraftKings, which obviously was an incredible spec to get into, right? 10 to I think $60 at the highs. And that one's actually holding its value better than most other SPACs are. And it's got such good prospects. And I know you're a huge fan of DraftKings, if not a huge customer, and maybe the reason their stock is up so much. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, nothing I like more than a good PR. You know, I loved seeing that they came out and they were pounding the table on themselves. That's the best thing for a company to do, in my opinion, because you have to be confident. And the fact that it was strong after the deal, right? So everyone assumed that DM is going to have all the SPACs get killed because DM had that broker issue transferring shares. But that was a one-off. And we said that last week and the markets listened. Skills was up almost 30% on that move. And I think the CEO has a perfect mission to take this company to the next level. I know a lot of people on Twitter are saying, well, they don't have all these great games right now. There's not a huge amount of things that we can really do on it. And like, I don't love the platform so much. There's like a little bit of kinks here and there. You know what I say? I say those are all things that they can improve on. The CEO says this, we built skills on the founding belief that esports are for everyone and have made significant progress towards our vision of enabling everyone to share in the future of competition. We stand at the intersection of mobile gaming and esports, perhaps the two most exciting growth opportunities of the next decade. Thank the entire skills team for their dedication, passion, and creativity, which has led us to an incredible moment of our journey to build the competition layer of the internet. So think about it. They're not trying to be just like a company. They're trying to allow for anyone to compete on almost anything. And they're, they're saying it so loosely. They're not saying, if you want to play Candy Crush, download us. They're saying like, you want to compete? Okay, let us help you. Yeah, Tony, and what I really, really like about this company is that anti-cheat component that they have. You know, something that I could see them potentially licensing out 
beyond the current games that they have. I think to your point about this competitive layer throughout the internet sounds very, very interesting. Dominic Rinaldi, who is a super pounder. So thanks, Dominic, for all your great questions. You DM'd us some incredible ideas that we'll look to implement here in the new year. So Dominic asks, where do you see skills expanding their AI and competitive advantage to outside mini games? Do you see there being a platform attractive betting on games such as Mobile Madden, Free Fire, etc.? Absolutely, Avi. I mean, I think that this is one of those situations where you look at a company that's just starting out, IPOing, it's not that old yet getting off the ground in a market that's just starting to really really take off you have no idea where this thing is going to go i mean they can just do things that we're no one's even talking about right now which is why i am pounding the table on skills so hard and i love this question here like where are they going to expand to and that's what you should always look for when getting into a company that's pretty early on especially in an industry that's not fully developed yet because of like legalization issues and stuff but i think there's just such a huge opportunity here for them to get as big as they possibly can in the mobile gaming space, and then take over a ton of different markets that haven't even had this competitive aspect given to them yet. Clearly, the mobile gaming space is what everyone's talking about with this name. It's set to more than double by 2025, getting up to $150 billion in TAM. But I think esports overall are going to become such a huge wave of interest for people that it's just going to explode. I mean, you look at Garena and Free Fire, we talk about with SC, it's such a huge amount of viewers that go to every one of those games. It's like as much as NBA season games, which is nuts. And I think that's just starting as a trend. So why wouldn't it expand more and more, right? We talk about these exponential bases all the time. And if the bases got that big during COVID, it's not like you're going to stop trading when you go back to work. So I think people will continue to sports bet. I think people will continue to bet on anything that they really want to, right? Like esports. Think about if we can play on PCs, Xbox, PS5s. And they're working in part with the NFL at some point. So the NFL's entry into esports has not really been as aggressive as the NBA or MLS, in which most clubs have affiliated teams in NBA 2K or EMLS. But the NFL did sign a licensing deal with the popular video game Fortnite last season, right? So teams such as the Pittsburgh Steelers have invested into their own professional sports teams too. So you can see that there's a huge want and desire for people in the sports area to get into this competitive gaming potential of revenue. So I think that you're going to see that more and more happening, um, especially with these pivots from these different branches. And if you think about the guys involved here, Flying Eagle Acquisition Corp, they may know one or two people in professional sports. Those are the same guys, again, that created DraftKings. And so... Uh, I think they got the team together to make this happen. Absolutely. I mean, and this is why we got so bullish on it in the start, right? And this is what we talk about with all the specs that we talk about at this $10 to $12 cash reserve level. It's that they have the potential based on the management's track history and based on the guys who are founding that SPAC. And and, and once you already know which company it's going to be, it's really easy to do your due diligence because you have that SEC presentation of that company. You can look into it right then and there. And you usually have time to make a decision before you want to get in or get out of it. So that's really one thing to consider with SPACs too. And that's why Feek, I think, did so well. It checked all of our boxes. And it was a double pound without even having to think about it. One thing I do want to harp on with Feek here so, so much is that people are talking about it as just like some, I guess, some dinky app. And that's what I'm hearing about on Twitter. And I get it. And I get some of the concerns, right? So people are saying, well, the reviews are not fantastic. And like, I get that. And people are saying that, well, it's not all accessible on like certain types of mobile devices, interfaces, and this and that. I get that too. But what I will say to you is, if those are the problems they're having right now, and they're putting up the numbers that they're having right now, and you know that they're talking to a bunch of people about getting different kinds of developers on, right? It's not about in-app games, right? Skills focuses on profiting from these sticky developer tools like payments, marketing, server hosting. It's just a big misconception, I think. It's not some dinky app. It is the platform. The games and apps on it right now are the dinky games and apps. So that's how you have to think about it, right? Like people are zigging and we're trying to zag right now because it's not one of those situations where 
because Candy Crush is like really, I guess people love Candy Crush. Maybe Solitaire isn't that fun to play. That doesn't mean Skills is not going to be a good company and it's not going to work. It's just what happens when they get Fortnite on there. Like, Avi, I could just imagine a world where you and I are driving to the same location and we just can like bet each other on how fast we get there, right? Everywhere, like real life virtual NASCAR driving, but of course at the speed limit. So, I mean, you just have to think about it in such like a very, very unique and creative way because like that's what you want these CEOs and these people who are running these companies to to do. Like this is, it's a baby company. It can go any direction. If you put it in the right direction that I see in my head, then I think this company can go to 100 very easily, especially when you compare it to Unity. So I've been talking about this on Twitter a little bit too, and I get it, right? Unity and skills are not the same thing. But in terms of valuation, when people talk spade is a spade, there are very few things in the market to compare directly between, right? Like Unity and skills are an actually fair comparison, in my opinion, because to some degree, they're both platforms, right? Just a little differently, right? So $1.2 $1.2 billion in revenue with a $42 billion market cap for Unity next year. The Unity software's gaming developer platform. We talked about this on the pod when it IPO'd a while ago, and that thing's gone berserk since. But that's 35 times next year's sales, but it's only growing at 28%. So that is how you have to look at these things. You have to look at the three different layers. So you look at market cap, you look at expected revenue next year, you look at the expected margins, and you look at the expected growth there. Because all of those different four factors will affect the valuation, right? Like you can have really, really great revenue, but if the margins are really low, then it's going to get a lower multiple. If you have the same revenue and one has two times as much margins and they're growing at the same, then the one with the two times as much margins is going to be worth at least two times more. So when you're just comparing skills and unity on a spade to a spade, right? In that year, skills is also going to do $555 million in revenue compared to $1.2 billion for unities. So at $10 a share, skills has a $3.5 billion market cap. So it's trading at 20 now. It's got about a $7 billion market cap here. So theoretically, if you compare it to Unity, just as it is right now, and also consider the fact that skills is growing at 57% CAGR versus 28, right? So I could theoretically say that it's worth 42 billion, right? But that, I mean, I won't be absurd here. But at 19 billion, half the market cap of Unity's, about half the revenue growing twice the same, I call that a spade is a spade fundamental comparison. And I also am pounding this thing on like a visionary standpoint on where I think it can go. So let's call this one price target $50 in the short term. And if, if you and I are able to play Madden, Avi, then it's 100. 4D Tony right there. You were just saying things crystal clear. Let's jump into Nanox though. Of course, can't do an episode without it. Got a question here from Rahul Singh asking, if, is there still time left to trade on Nanox? Obviously it ran up quite a bit. I got a little nervous after that second demo. As I mentioned, I trimmed a little, still holding a good amount. Tony, you're over there like a madman pounding this to 200. And we got in a little Twitter battle here with uh, Muddy Waters. Love seeing that friendly banter. Muddy's saying this thing goes to $10. It's a complete scam. You're saying this goes to 200. And this is in the next six months. So the bet was $25,000 to a charity of your choice. To me, six months feels a little bit aggressive, Tony. I guess either direction, right? I mean, especially he would have to go down only 40 points and the markets have been insane, right? You would have to go up $150 to hit the 200. Doesn't really feel like the most well-structured bet, Tony. And you know, I'm a betting man. Absolutely, Avi. And, and you know, there's only one thing in the market that really, really grinds my gears. And that's when people like Muddy Waters and Citron come out publicly short these companies release these short reports you got every algo in the world reading them and dumping it you've got every mom and pop scared out of their minds dumping the stock and then what do they do citron shorts jumia to zero citron's long jumia to 100 and muddy waters does the same thing so carson i'm taking your bet end of the day but here's the thing i'll take a bet if you make it fair make it 
made on the principle of what you think this is. You think this is a fraud. So that means it's not getting FDA approval. And that means that they're not going to sell any units. If that happens, if they don't get FDA approval next year, yeah, I'll give you 25000 to a charity of your choice. And it's probably going to be to your fund. But you know what? Yeah. Is it going to go to 200 if it gets FDA approval and they start rolling out these devices already just with the numbers that they have now already signed operating agreements for these? It's going to be a $10 billion company if all that goes right. And I think it will. And you don't think it will? That's okay. You can be a pessimist. Optimists win most of the time anyway. I think that this thing will get to 200. I think the FDA is going to happen. I think they're going to deliver more than 5,000 devices before 2024. And I think this thing is going to revolutionize the medical imaging space. Those are my opinions. I could be wrong. I don't think I am. I've never seen you get this fired up. You're honestly one of the most positive people I know. So it must uh, take a lot to ruffle your feathers. I know you just want the best for this world. And so I get the short angle, but like, how are you going to publicly root against getting third world countries the access to all of these scans? It's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, third world countries, just, you know, the average middle class, lower class American who may not get scans because they don't have the right insurance and it costs too much. I mean, just the applications for this and how much it can help the entire world, just their net health level all around is so huge that this is something that you want to pound the table on, even if you don't believe in the stock. Like, I think when you're betting against something like this, you're not only betting against a better world, but you're betting against Sony, you're betting against SK Telecom, you're betting against Ron Palakian. And just to me, there's better things to bet against, right? Like this could not work, right? But it has a very good potential to be huge. And if it is huge, your short is going to get destroyed. And I'm just saying that this could happen in it's not happening in six months. So, you know, if he wants to come to me at fair terms on a bet, I'm, I'm in. Like, I'll put my money there right now. But it's not possible for that to really happen in six months unless so many things go right in that time period, right? And I mean, even getting to 10, it's probably not going to happen. Even if it doesn't go through, they'll just delay it and the stock will stay over 20. But to me, the biggest part of it is that they had those 500 to 600 inquiries right after their demo. So it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Carson thinks. But 500 to 600 people who have the money to be able to buy these things and bring it into their facilities and centers are interested at some degree to just even talk about it. So it's not like everyone saw the demo, ran away, hated it, and never wanted to look at Nanox again. You've got all this FDA news chatter that can happen at any time. You got dead put premiums because it started spiking on big volume. So it's going to be fun to play out, right? I'm obviously very long and I'm looking at this as a long-term play. I think six months is not a long enough time to think about anything with this stock really in, in terms of the future of the company. You know, you could always have FDA roll out another three months later. Like, why not? They spent over a billion dollars creating the technology that is used in these Nanox cathode machines. Like, it just, it doesn't make sense to me that you're betting against something that has a really low market cap that has the potential to easily go three, four, five X just on FDA news and getting some deliveries out. Like, it's got weight to it now. And the next time it's moving, I think it's going to move much stronger because just recently in the last few days, you've seen the buying has been different. It's less sporadic up and downs and it's very strong buy candles. So I'm a big fan of seeing that people are starting to accumulate in bigger size. And you know, the FDA news can happen anytime, right? Like people are chattering about it every other week. They're like, is this going to happen now? Sometimes the put premiums die. So you never know if people are thinking it's going to happen that weekend. But to me, I haven't seen a Nanox run that's 22% in a day. I think it was on Thursday. And then Friday, they obviously pinned it near 50 for quad witching, which no surprise to me right there. But you know, the FDA news can happen at any time, right? They have different stages of what they're going to be putting out there. And the put premiums like to die randomly and spike randomly. So it's just like an off switch or on switch when people just want to be buying into it because they think the news is going to happen over the weekend or next week or whatever it is. So we'll see, right? You'll get an answer eventually. And I think the answer is going to be a positive one. And that's because you got these 500 to 600 inquiries that happen right after the demo. 
Like people would not be that interested right away after what could have been obviously a little bit better of a demo, but still that many inquiries, that's huge. And that's not just 500, 600 orders. That's 500 and 600 people asking about orders that could be X number. So big numbers there possibly, who knows what comes out of all those contacts. And I'll keep saying this. I think it's going to the triple digits just based off the valuation, right? We talked about this last week, 5,100 machines, the amount of money that they're going to be making every scan as is this like a medical software as a service platform. So it's always one to keep an eye on because it's all about that FDA news. It's all about how fast they can get that technology out and scale up production once they get that approval. I personally own a lot of January 2022 in the money calls on this one just to hold premium. I mean, those hold very, very well if it does have dips. So I'm looking to see this one's either going to be 200 and beyond or maybe Carson's right and it goes to 10. But I had this situation happen when I was younger and I bet on Tesla at 1000 and, and I was right then. So definitely a strong pound, but I want to emphasize that you have to pound on a better world. You have to pound on a better future. I guarantee you that a bear making money is not happier in life than a bull making money. It's just, you got to bet on the world being better. Yeah, Tony, this is going to be fun to play out. Hopefully we can lock down some fair terms publicly there. Uh, another one in the health space that we haven't talked about for a while is OTRK, which I think was like 46 when you first pounded it. Went to a high of about 84. Came back to earth slightly. Now I think it sits at about 68. As a quick refresher, OnTrack is helping those with untreated behavioral health conditions that worsen with chronic medical disease. We support all of our members, obviously, with changing behavior to improve their health and reduce medical expenses. As a stock, though, Tony, I know you're bringing this one back up. So what do you think about what's happening here in the future? Why are you pounding this one again? Yeah, Avi, the reason I wanted to bring it back up is because you're seeing something that doesn't really happen too often. So you see a bunch of good news that's about these telemedicine health monitoring stocks. But then you're seeing people sell them off and like have them base way lower than their all-time highs. And I think obviously one of those is wrong, right? Like you're seeing continued good news. It should be moving higher, especially in the conditions you have now with way more COVID cases in the world than we've ever had before. Telemedicine starting to be included in all these nationwide insurers. You've got Bezos coming in trying to do telemedicine. And then that's what sold off TDOC, which I guess we should just talk about here. But I don't think that's going to be a huge problem for Teladoc, right? Teladoc's already making its big way into a ton of these different health insurers. It's becoming standard to have telemedicine and health monitoring. And Amazon is just rolling out their like private employee plan to more people. So it's not like they're full on doing this 100% taking off right now. And they're sure as heck not doing this full health monitoring that Livongo, which merged with Teladoc now does. So for me, not a concern right now. And I don't really think it's going to be a concern for a while. Obviously, there's a ton of healthcare out there that needs to be met. And I think there's enough slices of the pie for everyone. But the fact that they're getting involved in it is very bullish for me because it shows that they think that's a very viable business. And every time they get into something like that, it does rally the entire sector, right? Like they got into Whole Foods and look at the health trend that like went from that, right? That they, they make great acquisitions when they do. So definitely something to consider in the overall sector of it, why it's going down when the news is so great for it. The OTRK is interesting just on a pure valuation standpoint. It looks very, very cheap here, right? And the revenue growth is huge. You've got 172% revenue growth in the most recent quarter. And they're approaching a major milestone, I think, in the business soon. They're going to become profitable uh, in the next year or two. So by 2022 at the latest. And that's a huge thing too, because you've only seen recently like Teladoc get profitable and like Livongo start being in the space where they're churning this high growth and they're doing well on their margins too. So it's always about that economies to scale. But what I really do like about OnTrack now is that they have this launch of OnTrack CI program that's for the National Health Plan subsequent to a three-year contract that was awarded to them in June 2020. So the company is now enrolling Medicare Advantage members in 13 additional states. So 
as people say, this company is a fraud, this and that, like I, 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 people are saying this about so many names that are just not very established yet, but that's what investing is, right? This is not the thing that I put like 20% of my portfolio. And this is something that I'll take a shot at, look at, do my research and see if it develops and grows into the company. I think it will be, which I do. And I also think this entire wave is just like EV cars and it's like cloud and payment processing and genomics and med tech, bio, pharma's. They're all taking off now because people are seeing the potential of a very, very big future. So definitely something to look out for. Absolutely. All of those sectors are, are completely starting to rip. You know what else is going to the absolute moon, Tony? Bitcoin. Bitcoin is literally right below 24,000. We don't even talk about this enough because we're mostly a stock show, but you had mentioned, I think it was 11,700 is when you first said BTC is going to start coming back up as this flight to safety forget which episode is earlier this summer, but you had mentioned this one stock SI, which we pounded on episode 17. It was at $34.88. It is now up 50% to 52.57. You said the picks and shovels will kill it with Bitcoin up 104% since you said, give it a little pound with this a visible coin. This time feels different for me though. I think we almost blinked our way to 19,000 and no one really seemed to be talking about it because it was mostly institutional buying as we discussed, but now we're seeing what Square and PayPal are doing. And, and of course, you're going to touch on this here shortly. But I personally wish I had more BTC. It's basically money, right? If people are willing to accept it, that is what money is. And at some point, it's going to probably stabilize. But I think we're going to see more and more brands accepting it. It's going to become more ubiquitous, as you can imagine. And there is a finite amount of Bitcoin. So that, of course, instills that value. And by no means am I a crypto expert, but I know that you were super into it early on. I think when you were like 12 years old, probably. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you like to joke around and say like, I'm just a 16 year old kid. But I honestly did start thinking about Bitcoin when I was like 15 or 16. I had a buddy tell me to buy Bitcoin when it was under 100 when I was in high school. I was like a sophomore in high school. And he's like, yo, check out this Bitcoin thing. It's going to be crazy. And I was like, haha. And the same kid gave me NVIDIA at $6. Kid's a genius. But yeah, I got into Bitcoin back in the day. I think it was like, $800 a share or a coin when I it's funny to say a coin when I was buying into it I traded it for a long time traded it in 2017 but I think this time I'm seeing a lot of similarities but a lot of differences that are really really more important than those similarities I've been in and out of it for a long time I wish I just would have like bought a bunch like Chamath did and just held it until now this time is a lot different though I'm looking and, and just seeing that there's not a lot of people who are all you know, crazy hype train. I think it's like the investors, the people who know trading and investing in different asset classes are talking about it. And now the media is talking about it because it's over 20,000 and, and because everyone's talking about it. But on the run up, you didn't see this crazy hype craze that I saw when I was in college and Bitcoin first went up in 2017. Every single person was like, yo, did you buy some Bitcoin? Hey, I bought some like Ethereum, like check out like a uh, power coin or whatever. Like some it's just like they the were bar yeah. gave me ripple at four cents. He just jumped into my conversation. He goes, you guys talking Bitcoin? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, check out ripple. I go, what is this Pokemon card things that's going on? <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. But this time you've got people like square PayPal, JP Morgan, and you've got the government going against it and they're trying to do things to make it more regulated. And that's how, you know, it's real. That is the right there. It doesn't matter if it's real or not. When somebody goes against it, who's the man, the regulatory body wants to go against an like anonymous, like p potentially ubiquitous source of cash. Yeah, that's when you say this is real now. 
it's different. People are buying it and holding it. Right? They're not like trading it as actively as before. You see whales just buy like 100 million in Bitcoin and put it into an off like tr a transferable hard wallet and never touch it again. So very different here. When I like the fact that it wasn't super high craze until it broke into all time highs. That means that it wasn't like this pump and dump thing that we had in 2017. And this time the conditions of the market are as favorable as they could possibly be for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. I mean, you've got lowering purchasing power because of all this massive stimulus. People are driving money into store of value assets, which now they think is Bitcoin. It is Ethereum. So whatever they think it is, it is. This is why is gold what it is versus aluminum? You know, like that's the same concept. And people want to say that gold is a better store of value than Bitcoin. There is absolutely no difference. In fact, I think Bitcoin just makes more sense intelligently. But apart from that, you love the fact that interest rates are super low. You got Congress and the Fed pumping in a ton of money. Inflation is likely to come. And that's what the Fed is targeting, right? So you've got a weakening dollar. You've got push for inflation. And this is just telling you, right, like Bitcoin can't be printed. Bitcoin can't be just fakely created. And it's got all these things that prevent fraud and, and you know, make it anonymous, encrypted and all that. So it's the blockchain is where you want to be putting your money, in my opinion, versus cash, but not as like an investment standpoint. I'm talking about just the idea of it on its own. So I do think it's real. I think it's here to stay. And the picks and shovels play that we talk about SI is perfectly set up to benefit from people trading it and definitely lending from it. Because if you're going to be able to take out, you know, collateralize your Bitcoin and Ethereum to be able to pay for other things, I think that's very likely. You can do that with stocks now. You know what I always thought would be cool, and, and anyone can please take this idea and run with it because it would be just be incredible, is the idea of like sending Bitcoin to your wallet. What if I could just send you shares of Apple or, you know, I got my wedding coming up. If uh, people just want to, you know, send me uh, shares of, of Tesla or something. My coach from high school, like my, my cross-country coach who got me into investing, got me into options. And so... He's just been accumulating this Bitcoin over the last like five years. And now when he goes to the grocery store, he's got his Coinbase card paired up with Visa. He can just pay for groceries. And he's like, hey, like I got, I can get twice as many groceries or I can pay half as much for my groceries because Bitcoin's accumulated so much in the time. It's gone up since I've been accumulating it and you can just easily transfer it for cash. So that would be sweet if I could send you a share of Apple or you could send me like a share of Mealy because that'd be cool. <laughs> but you could, that, you could do that with cryptocurrencies, right? Like you have these like small little chips where you can put a tiny bit of Bitcoin on and just hand it to somebody. And on that chip is that Bitcoin. So no reason why somebody can't do that with shares. And when the entire market is pretty much built on either Ethereum or a blockchain Ethereum based platform, then you're going to totally see that happening. You're going to be able to do that. I guarantee you in five years. Let's just pause for a second because you've been spouting off some serious knowledge I can't believe we're at episode 20. I know we started this summer for fun, and it's been so cool to hear from all of the pounders who had literally pounded the table with us since episode one. But of course, we hear each week, and that's a good one on Twitter, gave us this amazing idea for some of the newer pounders that are just tuning in for the first time, calling it setting the table. So this will be answering some of the questions from our listeners. And instead of hearing this boring name, such as questions from the audience, ladies and gentlemen, Get excited for our newest segment called Setting the Table. Yeah, Avi, I love this one because pounding the table is best done with friends and guests who become friends. So 
We're going to use a bunch of different questions that you guys give every week or over a few weeks to try and shed some light on how we're really setting the table, you know, organizing and running our portfolios. You can kind of use those as synonyms before we really get ready to eat again, because, you know, we're full as we can be. We've had a lot of great runners and now we're looking to see what's going to be next. And each week, you know, we're going to have a bunch of names that we've been talking about for the last five, 10, 20 episodes. But we're going to try to do something every once in a while, like maybe every two or three episodes, just talk about what we're still holding, what we're like thinking about right now, and just a little bit more onto how we get into the companies we get into and why. So the first question we got here is from Nathan Chapman at foodguy32 saying, you guys give a lot of picks each week. How can we take this advice? Do we do due diligence and take a position? What's a good starter size since ultimately I feel these picks may be a little more risky? Yeah, so I guess this is really important for setting the table on who we are as investors, right? Like we are invaders, so we invest and we trade. And we do try to emphasize on which names we're talking about as very long-term holds. Like I'm pretty sure anyone who's listened to Pounding the Table knows that SC, Square, Mealy, Etsy, Fiverr, uh, Teladoc are some of my biggest long-term holds that I'm always pounding the table on. Those are... Those are the sauces at Thanksgiving. They're always going to be there for me until it's until it's empty, right? Until you can't get any more sauce out of there. So when the gain starts slowing down, that's when we'll talk about new replacements for those. But then we do talk about some trades, obviously. We have like earnings plays sometimes. If it's like, you know, obviously talking about Salesforce moving or if I'm talking about a Shopify moving or Etsy on Christmas sales. So we do talk about just general trends you can play in the market. So the way to look at this podcast is, first of all, 100% not advice. So we just give you the research and the information that we use in the markets and maybe what we're holding or looking to get into for various reasons. But I would take a listen to all the names that we talk about because we provide the research on them. So it, it cuts you that step of having to find, you know, what kind of food at the grocery store. So we're putting it in your basket already. You just got to decide if you want to check it out. And that's really important because you'll see a ton of people talk about you know, this guy on Twitter likes this stock or that stock or whatever. But if they don't put research behind it, you're going to have to do it all yourself. So we try to do that for you. Just put it all together in the biggest names that most people are talking about, which usually are the ones that do move the best if you pick the right ones. Starter size is always up to you, right? Like sometimes I like a position so much like HAACU and CMLF. I've got 10% of my whole positions in both of those. So that, that's 20% because I use that as my cash reserves. And I think that those two are going to be some of the biggest facts. Do I ever go you know, 20, 30% in a position? Probably not. So it's all up to you and your risk tolerances, but just use it as research because that's all we're here for. Yeah. And in terms of some of these picks being risky, maybe he's alluding to some of these SPACs that we've been talking about. Obviously there are some risk involved with these SPACs. Maybe quickly touch on that. Yeah, I think there's just risks in all the names that we talk about, but people have to consider it from a different perspective, right? Context is key. So risk in the short term, sure. Risk in the long term, probably less than a value company that's already stretched out in like terms of where it can possibly be valued and slowing growth. So these names that people are desiring now are going to be desired in the future. It's just a matter of where the price is trending between month to month and the market's reaction. So I guess if you look at it from that perspective, yes, it's risk. But if you are looking at it from an investor, then that's just part of the long-term game. Um, and I guess when you talk about SPACs, of course, like I don't, I don't think there's actual risk there. If you get into one that's between $10 and $12 before the merger is announced, then you can always redeem it at that price. There's very, very limited risk there. We've talked about that before. But obviously, the ones that have already gone to 15, 17, 25, we said this too, this has more and more risk as it goes up. So I, I do agree with that. So I always just try to sell out of those ones that are $15, $20, $25, $30, 
and move it more into some cheaper uh, units or warrants on the ones that are 10 to $12. So just always managing positions, trim your winners, add to the ones that have yet to win. And I think that you'll do much better than just kind of sending it gun ho on anything you hear. Got another one here from uh, 01SVRKYY. Some of these Twitter names are impossible to try to actually say the words here. But they are asking, what multiplier parameters or statements do you give the most attention to when you're first analyzing the company? I think the first thing I do, just you know, second nature at this point, is to just look at what its numbers are doing. Obviously, like you want to know about what the company is doing. I think that's a given. Before you even decide to look into a company, you should know what it does, right? So, I mean, that could be your first step of looking into it. But once you're really looking into it, you want to see its numbers. And I'm not looking at it from like, oh, is it worth the right valuation? Like, I, I just want to see what people are thinking about it and if it does have the potential to grow huge. So I want to see like big revenue growth year over year. I want to see as good of margins as I can, especially against competitors and compare their actual revenue, like numbers and sales, right? So based on their market cap, see how big they are to their price to sales, see what their gross margins are looking like. And if those are going to get better over time. And if the reason that they're not profitable right now as companies is because they're spending a lot of money in operations and research and development. So those are the biggest things I look at. Um, And then I I try to see there's a vision aspect. So something that's really, really special about us. Something that can like change the world or in a region or an area or a sector that I think is very, very hot right now, just based off of where I think the world is going in this like huge global and technological trend. And those are kind of like the meat and potatoes if we're going to keep running with this food theme here. So we got a a question here from the Keith GM uh, asking, how do you prep your portfolio to minimize potential downturns? In other words, how do you find real stretched out stocks in our portfolio? And when do you know when to trim or sell off? We definitely have to keep running with this food analogy here because this next part is pretty much like when you go to the store and you get a turkey and then you start cooking the turkey and it's undercooked and you want to avoid getting food poisoning, right? Like this is important. How do we avoid having too many beers for dinner if it's Avi? You know, that's like you want to manage to make sure you can keep having dinner, right? Make sure you can trade another day. So this is where I like, I like to focus on this almost every episode we talk about some type of hedging strategy or some type of allocation of risk because people think that cash as a position is always the best kind of hedge. And I don't really think that that's as much true as it is it is in people's perspectives, because you could use that cash to buy any of these floor SPACs. You can use that cash to buy puts against some of the shares you've held for a long time that are further out. So you can cap your losses exactly. And, you know, if you want to hold those shares for another year for taxes or whatever, there's ways to do it intelligently that'll allow for you to keep those shares and protect your risk and, and make it a finite amount. So that's really important there. I think one thing that people need to realize is if your winners are winning, that is not the kind of thing that you trim unless you want to buy something else, right? So I think that people who just trim to trim make no sense to me. I think if you're trimming either to raise cash because you think that there's going to be a market downturn or trimming to buy into something that's undervalued, right? Like we're talking about this in a second with the next question, the opportunity cost of capital. That's another thing to consider too, because if you have a company that's like Tesla is a great example right? Tesla went from $200 to $3,500 pretty much post split. And that means like, look at the market cap now, it's well over 500 billion. The issue with Tesla now is the market cap is so high that for it to go from 200 to 3,500, you know, the the same percent that that would be that uh, 17.500% return. That's a lot, right? That's going to take the company to go to like $12 trillion. You're not going to get that kind of return with Tesla again. So 
that is where you consider the, the, I mean, I'll just talk about the next question here, right? Like the opportunity cost of capital, Avi. Yeah. So let's jump into that actually. Cornelius Capital. Uh, I've seen that name pop up quite a bit and you can tell that they've been listening. I live in New York and you guys can hear some sirens uh, in the background, but talking about the opportunity cost of capital, should we be selling the winners once they hit that hundred billion market cap? So the squares and shops, for that new wave of 10 baggers. And if so, what are some of those picks? I will not be selling SC though. That was, I think that last Yeah, no, I, I like that. That's a good quote. Yeah, I mean, SC is a beast. Like if you, if you believe in a company that's like really, really strongly, like super strongly to the point where you're like almost infatuated with it and you have like, almost, I have romantic feelings at this point for SC, right? So I'm not going to get rid of it. And, and like, I, I had the same with Mealy. And we'll talk about this in a second with Tony's confessions. And now I'm having, you know, second thoughts about the breakup. So opportunity cost of capital is definitely like one of the biggest things. And it goes right aligned with the fact of trying to minimize that portfolio's downturns and find those stretch stocks in your portfolio to trim and sell off. So if you've got a company that went from 10 billion to hundred billion dollars market cap very fast, and then you want to look for another one that's now at 10 billion that can go to hundred billion dollars in market cap very fast. There's no reason to not do that. It's a lot harder to go to from 100 billion to 1 trillion than 10 billion to 100 billion, especially if you've got something that's obviously if it's smaller, it's got more growth rate, it could maybe have better margins at the time, like who knows. And I think that's really crucial to look into, right? Like right now, TDOC is something that's beast, but it's hibernating. It's very, very great company, but it's just not doing anything right now. It's still basing after it's digesting the merger news. Now I got scared a little bit because of the Amazon thing. That's fine. But that's something that I think is definitely an opportunity cost of capital until it moves, right? So I've been into TDOC. I did sell out of TDOC and I'm going to wait for it to get over 206 or 212. And then I'll get in because it's just going to be basing here until it goes. So I guess that's what I'm talking about. And when these stocks do get bigger, they do base for a longer period of time, right? Like shop's been basing for five months, but I do like shop again now, right? Because it's finally moved out of that. And in that time period, it had two earnings reports and it's price to sales multiple went down like three times. So I guess that's the answer to the other question. Like, how do you find those stretched out stocks? It's based on how long they've been in your portfolio and where that, like, I guess, valuation and future runway for growth is. And you can just compare that pretty easily using like in a spade to spade basis. The next question here we got from Mike. So at Nades on Twitter, how do you go about reconciling selling a quality position that ran 50 to 100% in just a few months? I know it's a fantastic long-term hold. So this will harp back into selling off positions and locking in gains, which he knows is good, but he doesn't want to continuously sell and re-enter different areas. So I know, Tony, this is the point where you said Tony confessions. Yeah, I think it's time to have some Tony confessions because this is like, this is the point in the time and dinner where you're already stuffed and everything's so, so good and you want to eat more and there's really good dessert on the table, but you only have so much time at dinner and you only have so much room in your belly. So you can sometimes get overwhelmed with all the different names that are coming out in the market and you can have extreme FOMO, even be, which is fear of missing out, even being in some of the best performing stocks. I mean, that can force you to make decisions like selling these quality 50 to 100% winners that happen in a few months. So confession time, I did sell the majority, I think all of my Mealy and I did sell last bit of my SQ and my Etsy last week. And I'm actually sick about it right now. <laughs> and it's only because... You know, Mealy, I sold it around 1620 and it went over to 1720 now. So you got to think about that. Like to me, it's like watching my baby grow up a little bit more, right? Like a hundred points. And that's not a huge run for a stock. That's like 5%. But to me, I'm like, yeah, Mealy finally got to 1700. Like I've been in this thing since 500. Like what a beast. I'm proud of you. And that's like when you realize that you're going wrong. That's when you realize you love a stock too much 
and you enjoy it too much to be in your portfolio that sometimes, even if it is a great name that will continue to be great, it's this whole opportunity cost of capital thing, right? So I did take that Mealy SQ and Etsy money and put it into like some Nanox at 40 and put it into some Feek at like 16, 17 and put it into some more of these different SPACs that have done much better returns. So on the net net, like I'm positive from making that sell and that shift, but personally, I feel like bad about it. And I know that that's exactly what this guy's asking. Like, how do you reconcile selling something that you like a lot that you've maybe had for, you know, somebody who owns Apple from 20, surprising that they're ever going to want to sell that, even if there's a better investment to have now. So I am seeing like things like potential breakouts in Etsy shop, Amazon that are happening into the holiday numbers, right? So I feel bad about selling Etsy for that reason. Um, but I think I'll be playing it with weekly calls. So sometimes you can get out of names that have ran at 50 to 100%. And it, even if you don't want to be buying and selling all the time, you can just make like calculated decisions saying, okay, well, I put in 10,000. Let's say that the stock has doubled. And now I have 20,000. And like, what percent of my portfolio do I want that specific stock to be? And you can just trim and add other stocks accordingly. Like, I know this is what a couple of like ETFs do. If the stock gets over 5% of their portfolio or 10%, just off of natural growth, they trim that and they allocate it to other things that they think are going to also win. So like the goal, I guess, is to have the entire portfolio increase simultaneously, like as best CAGR as possible. Um, but that's one way to do it. I know that that's actually something I do myself. And we got a few more people spaxing us some questions. Uh, I did that on purpose because these questions are, of course, related to SPACs. So our first one comes here from at Cabin Arise. Asking, do you see SPACs as trading ideas or more of long-term, like more than several months investments, or are you just merely parking money uh, as a vehicle here? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a big difference between some of the SPACs. I think that if you look at the great ones with management, the ones that have like a really good float structure, and I think the ones with good, I guess, warrant redemption rates and stuff. I think those are the ones that really have a chance to become these great long-term investments. And like, this is where you can park cash to be able to have it be like an Easter egg, right? Like you can, it's at $10 or 11 or $12 and you have no idea what kind of company is going to come out of it, but you're betting on the people who you have like faith and respect and some type of veneration for that they've done this before and they've done well at it, that they're going to pick the right thing to hatch out of that egg. So that's what the way that I'm looking at this is like getting into these stocks that everyone has from like years and years ago. Like, like when I've been trading all this time, I was mostly an options trader. And now that I also do investing in, like I mostly do investing in these high growth names and just like stocks in general versus just options trading. I like have the potential to get into things that people got into back then. Like Etsy was $8. And I know a lot of people got it back then. And like, we just started doing that with things like Nanox and Jumia. And it's, and it's awesome to see it in that kind of context. But a lot of the time, those opportunities are already taken by the time the stock is at an IPO, right? Like you saw Airbnb, DoorDash, like AI, C3 AI, like they almost uninvestable like right now. And it's very hard for me to get into something that's open five times over the value. So I love the potential that we're getting in at a ground floor. The pro forma like revenue valuations are going to always be not insane. They're going to be very appropriate, which is much much more than I can say for the standard IPOs that are coming into the market. So that's what I'm looking for in terms of why I'm doing it in general. But also there's a lot of good trading that can come out of it. So these EV SPACs that you know are going to go really insane because they have the same management as previous EV SPACs, right? Like what I'm looking at, for instance, SNPR, that one has the same people who did highly on shill. So you know that that one has potential to, to really squeeze. So that could be a trading thing. It depends on which one they merge with. And then maybe it's a long-term investment, but 
on the most part, it's a 50-50 thing, uh, just depending on what kind of trader you want to be in them, right? You can just pick the ones with the best management that we talk about on the show. And we'll actually probably post a list of the ones that I've really dug into, uh, just because there's a lot of them. And I know people are asking that. So those are the ones that I would say are that cash reserve. And then of course, you can always trade these things too. All right, Tony, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. I'm going to combine these next two questions. First one comes from at SPAC researching, asking, should you hold or should you not hold into the ticker change? And then at our Wall Street is saying, I see SPACs increase in price as they reach the definitive agreement and then till the ticker symbol change and then it drops. Should SPACs be looked at as only things to trade or is there a reason behind some of this price action? Yeah, so this is one of those situations that I, I saw myself like realizing it as I started scrolling through Twitter. I saw the same photo like six or seven times by just a bunch of people who I know like know about trading, but I wouldn't trust everything that they say kind of thing. And they had the same photo where it's like SPACs go up and then into the merger news. I I think everyone's seen this photo and they like plateau, they go a little higher right before the date and then they crash back down. And it just like, it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy photo that's circulating everywhere. And people are like retweeting it as like knowledge, like here, let me show you how these SPACs work. That's BS. You're just like statistically fine. Maybe that is like what happens to a lot of them, but that's not what's been happening recently. Right. And you have to notice that SPACs are changing constantly because it used to be six to eight months to do a uh, deal to go through. Now it's like happening in a month or a week or whatever. So I think that's also very different. You saw DM scared everybody, but look what happened to skills. Skills rallied from 1650 at the low there after the, the vote and the change in ticker symbol. It went all the way to almost 24. So for me, it's if you find the right SPACs that have the best management that have decided to merge with one of the best companies that you see potentially for it to do that with, then I think that it is not a, it's not about the merger date or selling it a day before or a day after. Like, are you a trader? Are you a long-term investor? Right? If you're a trader, you obviously take some profits as it's running into the 20 to 25 range. It's a no-brainer. And if you're an investor, it depends on what you think about that company long-term. Like, why would you sell it if it goes and spikes 150% for you in a month and then goes down 50%? And then goes up a thousand percent in the next year, right? Like you have to think about what kind of trader you are. So I think that these are actually going to be like my new wave of stocks that who are, the five or 10 best ones that come out of the ones that I'm in right now but might hold those for over a year. So definitely something that I'm looking for in terms of long-term investing with these SPACs. I think that the timing is just that self-fulfilling profit that's been circulating on Twitter, but it is like smart to take profits into the merger date if you're not really, really con- convinced about that company long-term, like I didn't take any profits of Feek into the merger because I was super confident about the company. However, the other ones are like maybe some of the EV ones I probably will. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. I think some of these EVs, everyone's getting super excited about them. And you have to also think, you know, it is a market, right? So there are going to be people out there that are going to take quick profits and you'll see the drop. We just saw that actually with Feek you know, where it popped. And then right after hours, you know, people did take some of those profits. So yeah, I think it's one of those things you really think of these almost as like IPOs, you get in the ground floor, and some of them will fail. And and a lot of IPOs do fail. But the ones that are going to win, they will really win. And you can get there very early on. All right, we got a few more questions. Uh, At BXCiv is asking, will Anthony Ohion be on the show Billions next season? So I'm a, I'm a little frustrated that they didn't call me Wags out. I know we joke about that. Where, yeah, where's my love here? That. <laughs> I, that show, I would like to be in that. Like, it, it just seems so, so fun. Like, that's like where the magic's happening in the industry. Like, I'm sure that's made so many people in the in the world want to be a hedge fund manager at some level. So answer the question. Will we see you in the show? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be there next week. <laughs> All right, last funny question here. At Jack Tacular is asking... 
Logan Paul or Floyd Mayweather? Dude, I mean, this is a troll question, right? Like, <laughs> Logan Paul, I, yeah, no, no way. I'm going Floyd. I'm going yeah, Floyd. But, they don't call him Money Mayweather for no reason. All right, Tony, I know everyone's going to be scratching their head, wondering where the thesis pick is. We have one. We put one together. Uh, we were just looking at the clock here. Want to get this out on time for you guys. So we're going to actually hold that one off here till next week. This is actually probably one of our last episodes, too, before the end of 2020. Uh, we're definitely going to make a 2020 vision, kind of a recap of what we did this year. And, of course, looking into 2021, what are some of our favorite stock picks? But, again, I know we say this every single time. Just want to really reiterate to thank all of you guys, really, without the listeners. I'll say it. I don't know if I'd keep continuing to do the podcast. Now we feel no, kind of 100% excited. percent. We do it. We do it because people interact with us. Because people like it, it's fun for us. I enjoy talking to people about things that we both like. So that 100. Oh, percent Nothing gives me more confidence than uh, asking people what I want for lunch and get 20 responses that I don't need to think about what I want for lunch. But in, in all reality, uh, we really do appreciate all of the you know people sharing this with their friends, their family. Uh, again, those reviews on Apple Music really help us out. And so thank you guys from the bottom of our hearts uh, at Pounding the Table. Really, really appreciate that. Tony, you want to yeah. wrap this up with uh, any final thoughts here? Yeah, no, and I just wanted to like yeah reiterate what you were saying about there's no thesis pick and where we didn't pound a ton of stocks this week. It wasn't a mini monster segment. I think that we did and a lot of our followers did also get um, I get overwhelmed with so many, many monsters. I don't think I've ever seen a period in the markets where there's so many different names that are being called the next this, the next that, and like going up 100%, 20%, 30% in a day. And it's obviously not a very normal thing to happen, but it is the market that we're playing with right now. So you got to take the cards that you're dealt. It's definitely something to keep watch for. You know, we talk about hedging and risks and allocating your portfolio in a way that you're going to sleep comfortably at night every way. So make sure to focus on that. But I do think it's good to take a little break sometimes. And that's what we're doing here. We're taking a reassessment, looking into our mini monsters, trying to figure out the absolute best ones that we see for 2021 and the ones that we want to hold and pound the table on for the coming year. So with that being said, Avi, I think we send it off for this week and get ready to wrap up the year next year. You got to start that now. And we'll definitely be talking about what we're doing next week and thinking about that more in the future. But we're just going to be pounding with you guys all the way to the end of the year and definitely strongly into next year. So with that being said, Pounders, I hope you had a great week and I hope you have an even better one next week. Trip on a hundred bits, say less, that's me. Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. Yeah.
hundred bits, say less than me. Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex, I'm making big moves. That's a big move. 